Well, hey there, revolutionaries. This is Allison Task coming to you today. And today I really wanted to talk about perfection. The myth of perfection, the gifts of imperfection, the driving and striving toward imperfection. And the beauty of this pandemic moment is that shit ain't perfect. It's not perfect. It can't be perfect. We can't start school. We can't work. We can't do things perfectly. I'm really happy about that because perfection is joy sucking and fun sucking and creativity sucking. So I am very excited to embrace the imperfection of this moment. So I want to just start by kind of backing up a little bit. I'm going to share some things um, from my life and moments of perfection and imperfection. So growing up, little kid, going to public school, I was always um, in the top of my class. Middle school, high school, I got into the advanced classes. You know, when it came time for college, I was in the top 5%. I was not in the top 10, right? The top 10 gets all these pictures taken. I was 11. Oh, oh, oh. My bestie and I were always jockeying for who was 10 and who was 11. We weren't one through nine, but in the end, I chose, I think, being social over studying. Um, So I was not in the final top 10 group. My first little dive into imperfection. I did manage to get myself into an Ivy League school, which was really exciting. And what I learned pretty quickly was I wasn't the smartest kid in the room. I don't even know that I was in the top third or top half. I was kind of hanging in there by my fingernails. There were all those kids who like have a perfect memory, who don't go to class, seem to do a lot of drugs and totally outscore me on tests. I actually had to work. Not everybody did. So like that was the top quadrant of people who didn't have to work. They also seem to have access through their fraternities and sororities to like the exams, right? So they were either super smart or able to cheat their way through the system. And I, I couldn't test like they did. But in time, you know, my, my first year had lots of C's. I think I was, my GPA was in the twos. But by the end, I was cracking it out on Dean's list. So I figured it out pretty quickly. Um, but I wasn't perfect. I wasn't great. I wasn't valedictorian. I wasn't a top student. I was good. I was solid. But I wasn't the top. I wasn't 100%. After that, um, I got into the world of work. I was working on camera, right? I was writing cookbooks, hosting shows, and I could see the hosts that wanted it. I could see the people who wanted to be on camera and uh, wanted it more than anything, right? I have colleagues who I audition next to who now have major roles um, on NBC. And I see them and I'm like, you know what? Good for you. You wanted it more than I did. You wanted to be perfect, camera ready, airbrushed, good to go. I didn't want it that much. I wanted the life I have now, which is motherhood. And that mattered more to me than those other things. I didn't want that at any cost. And to compete for those few roles, you need to want it more than anything. I didn't. The biggest break from perfection in my life came when I became a step parent. I was living this pretty cool single life in Brooklyn, in my late 30s. I mean, like 39 is when I got married. And I say that because for so many women, 40 is such a cutting point for their fertility, for so many things. So uh, when I say I sort of slid into it, I was, I was up to my last minute. <laughs> but becoming a stepmom in the suburbs just super sucked. 
you know, I'd volunteer for the bake sale and people would give me the side eye. Like just people were not nice. Um, And by people, I mean the other moms. (laughs) Just guys, they weren't nice. They weren't nice. I still looked very much the city girl and I I can still see like the group of moms kind of looking at me pretty obviously at pickup. My husband was working full time in the city and um, my stepdaughter's mom was only seeing her one day a week. So I ended up doing a lot of the get ready for school, pick up from school because I was working freelance. I had better hours for childcare. So I did a lot of the childcare, which means I interacted with a lot of the other parents and some stay-at-home parents. And they kind of looked at me as the ghost of troubled marriage future. You know what I mean? Like, well, we better fix that fight we had this morning or this could happen. I felt that acutely. And the other thing I felt was, well, thank God. Now I'm not in competition for having the perfect suburban family. We're not going to show up with bows in our hair and starched shirts at the country club. Not that I would have done that anyway, but there is some, there is significant pressure in the suburbs, especially in Montclair, the one I live in, to show up in a certain way. Montclair is also very generous about being creative. So in that moment, I knew I couldn't, nor would I ever achieve family perfection just because of the nature of being a step-parent. I didn't want to be in the perfection race, but finally, I was officially uh, canceled, for lack of a better term. You know, step-families aren't, you just, it's not the same. You're almost disqualified from the start. You know, Crimea River, I'm, I'm not really that worried about it. We've paved our own path, but according to the traditional stereotype of, you know, 2.5 kids or whatever the math is, you're just out of the running. And I felt such a release and so much relief for me, for my marriage, for future children. We now went to the side of creativity. We went to the side of the imperfect. We went to the side of the minority, not the majority. And I could relish in the fact that I now very much would be moving to my own beat. I always had, but when you become a family, there's a different level of white picket fence comparison. And if you don't believe me, look on Facebook, right? Look at all the beach pictures and the children having fun and the winter we go on vacation BS, right? I could officially be out of the running and I didn't have to engage. And there was a, there's a great relief to that. So let's talk about your perfection. When you know you don't fit in and you stop trying to fit in, you yield 100% to creative freedom, to being yourself. When you don't make the team, when you're out of the school play, Brene Brown talks about not making the cheerleading squad and really letting down, you know, her football playing dad and cheerleading mom. Uh, Since I mentioned Brene, I'm going to mention the gifts of imperfection. Her first book, man, that's it. That's the relief I felt becoming a stepmom. I had had tinges of it my whole life, but now I knew myself and my family were going to be forever free from this gross competition, this this subtle competition that's there, right? We were on the side of creativity and innovation forever. And boy, did that feel good. No more perfection. So, When you yield to imperfection, and I'm going to ask you right now, where in your life are you imperfect and beautifully creative and whole? Where in your life do you not fit into the norm? Is it your religion, your race, your gender, 
where are you the minority at the table? Where are you no longer vying for that top slot? Isn't it great? Isn't it great? Isn't it freeing? Where have you decided not to do things the way everyone else is doing it and embrace creativity? And now I've got to ask, where are you still in that race? Is it your house? Is it your car? Is it the amount of money you want to make? Where are you still in that race for the goal of what you think you should? And you know how I feel about that word where you think you should be achieving something and you're not quite there and you're down on yourself and you're pressuring yourself. Where in your life have you chose, and you know, one of my favorites is the 80-20 rule, right? Where have you chosen the 80 is good enough and you're not gonna spend your energy pursuing that final 20? They say that the effort that goes into the first 80, as soon as that last 20 starts being pursued and you're gonna have to spend the effort that went into the first 80 to get to that, final 20, uh, of course, 80 plus 20 equals 100, you're at the point of diminishing returns. There's a great book by Bruno Bettelheim called The Good Enough Parent. The good enough philosophy is taking hold and darn, it's really taking hold during the pandemic, right? Because that's all we can do. Of course, we are asking schools this year to raise it from barely adequate to good enough. Yeah, that that was a dig. I just got some news from my school district yesterday that they won't be opening and I'm 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 still dealing with that. That said, that's not good enough. That's not 80%. That's below, right? And and we did 20% on our schools last year, like 20% effective. We we gotta do better than we did last year. So that's the end of that. I'm leaving that out. But <laughs> but can I be here sitting here laughing and parenting? Can I find my 80% despite a service lacking? to come to the 80% level? And more importantly, can I help them get there, right? Can I help create an 80% situation for my kids um, when one of the resources I depend on has not come through? Yeah, of course I can. All, already, you know, moms are sort of talking to each other and doing play groups and figuring out how we can make up for that lack of socialization that we were counting on from the schools. When you relinquish, when you just do the 80% and call it a day, Right. Think about people who are at their desks burning that midnight oil. Oh, I couldn't get out of work until midnight. I couldn't get out until one o'clock. And then you sleep six hours. Do you really think you're going to give it your best the next day? If that's how you're living and working day after day after day, if you're in there cranking it out, no, your hours are always going to be 12 hours because you're tired and you're fried. If you can get that good eight hours of sleep, you can get a far more efficient workday, six to eight hours. You start working, you know, less than four days and you're calling yourself a freelancer, then let's be honest, we know you can give more and get more. Or you say, hey, cool, I'm psyched to make my 80K a year and the rest of the time I spend doing X, right? Side note, when you do the 80-20, right? When you work your best for that 80% and you allow that other room in your life, you allow spontaneity, fun, messiness, on the fly, unexpected serendipity, right? When you go on vacation and it's an all-in, all-included, we go to the same dining room or the same five dining rooms every day, that's convenient, but it's not nearly as fun as finding that you know roadside crab shack or taqueria or whatever. It wasn't... When you plan to have less planned and less structure, right? When you structure 80% or in a vacation, hopefully even less, right? 40%, 60%. 
I remember once I traveled to Vietnam with my best friend and all we knew was the hotel we were going to meet at the first night. She was coming from Seattle. I was coming from New York. We only had that one address. We were flying separately. And from there, we figured it out. Our plan was to have, it was a a three-week adventure, our first night planned. And once we got there, we'd take it from there. And that's something I would not do now with a family. But boy, was that fun, right? Our our mothers were going crazy because they had no idea where we would be. But we yielded to the uncertain. And when you perfectly figure everything out in advance, you don't have that joy on the fly, serendipity, creativity, look what might happen, who might invite us in, what adventure can we take, what new path, what wiggle, wiggle, wiggle will we choose? As I tell my clients, when we're developing your career, it's more of a a jungle gym, you know, a ninja warrior. How are we going to figure this out? A creative problem-solving opportunity, not a linear path. That linear path to perfection inevitably ends up not working. And then you turn around and say, but I did all the right things. This is what, what am I going to say now? What should be happening? Ugh, totally flawed. So I invite you today to embrace imperfection, to embrace the 80-20 and to see perfection for the curse that it is. Because right now in this pandemic moment, the people who are thriving are the people who are flexible. Yes, we're still mourning and we're still grieving. I haven't forgotten all that stuff I said at the beginning of the pandemic, but we're getting used to some disappointment, right? And we're not holding on to certainty. So by applying 80-20 and in some situations, 60-40, you end up with more ease, gentleness, and satisfaction. And that flexibility, lack of certainty, allows for you to bob and weave right now. As one of my favorite chefs, Ellie Krieger told me when I was working with her, Ellie Krieger's had a cooking show on Food Network forever, and she's published many best-selling cookbooks. I remember her saying, be the tree that bends, but don't break. And believe me, she's not the first person to say it. I just attach it to her and I love her so much. So it's fun to think about her. Bend, but don't break. In this moment, we're bending, shooting for perfection, shooting for that 100%. That's when you break. The tallest buildings in the world are built to sway in the wind. Look up at trees when you're in a deep breeze. They're built to sway. You can't build it solid. You can't build it 100% perfect, perfect, eyes dotted, T's crossed every time. That will break. So find your flexibility and your bend in the pandemic. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for listening week after week, supporting the podcast, supporting these ideas. I love spending this time with you. And I thank you for giving me the opportunity to share these thoughts. And I hope they land in a way that makes you think a little bit differently this week. Hugs? No, not a distant hug. A big, warm hug and embrace to you. Lots of love. And let's connect next week. Take care.